You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Why don't we find Judges chapter 1 again? We're going to be here camping out here for for some time. Not sure quite how long, but for probably the majority of the year. We'll see um, how we go along, but there's a lot here. But make your way to Judges chapter 1. And I'll be reading 1 through 21. It kind of starts, uh, yeah, it's the end of a paragraph, so 1 through 21. As you're on your way there, we've got a picture from last week from Malachi. I got one. I got one I couldn't share. Uh, one didn't want me to share it. This one Malachi's got, and you caught it, Malachi, that, that cycle, that circle of the judges here. Um, they bow down to idols. God punishes them. They beg for mercy. God appoints a judge. And rest in peace, the judge dies. And on and on the cycle goes. I think we said some six, six cycles that we're going to see through judges. So we'll, we're going to be getting there to that. appreciate that, Malachi. So, All right, well, hopefully you found the book of Judges, chapter 1. And let's read God's Word up through verse 21 today. We're going to be kind of capturing a couple. So I'm not going to read again a lot as we go through. We'll try to... There's a lot going on. Just try to grasp what what you can as we go through this here. So, Judges 1, verse 1. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled. But they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And Adonai Bezak said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem and he died there. And the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem, captured it, struck it with the edge of the sword, and set the city on fire. And afterward, the men of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who lived in the hill country, in the Negeb, and in the lowland. And Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriat Arba. And they defeated Sheshai and Ahiman and Talmai, from there, they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kiriat Sefer. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kiriat Sefer and captures it, I will give him Aksah, my daughter, for a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it. And he gave him Aksah, his daughter, for a wife. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Give me a blessing. 
Since you have sent me in the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. And the descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up with the people of Judah from the city of Palms into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negev near Arad. And they went and settled with the people. And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited uh, Zephath and devoted it to destruction. So the name of the city was called Hormah. Judah also captured Gaza with its territory and Ashkelon with its territory and Ekron with its territory. And the Lord was with Judah. And he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Let's pray again. Lord, we just ask again your, your guiding hand, your guiding spirit as we look at your word and seek to understand what you have written. Lord, there are many things going on in, in these 21, some 21 verses here. Much going on. Much that you're at work, you're doing by your sovereign hand in the scope of history. Father, I pray as we put this together that all glory again would be yours, that we would see your greatness in the words of your scripture. Help your people to test what's spoken, to take what is right and good from your word, and to hear it as such. This is your word that we're looking at. May you guide the messenger today um, to preach with your boldness and grace as we point again as well to our living King Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. I want to show you something from my my office, a little piece of artwork here. Uh, George may recognize this. He made this for me probably seven or eight years ago. Uh, you maybe can't read it from there. What it says, it's pretty faded by now. It says, God will provide, I need to prepare. God will provide, I need to prepare. It was a time, this is one phrase I had written down in, in my Bible. I think it's, it's in Second Chronicles going through seminary, and I don't know if the thought was, are we going to have enough money to pay for this, or can I get through this class this week, or quite what it was, maybe just like, what do I do, or maybe I was wasting my time and came to this particular passage in Second Chronicles, and that thought of, again, this phrase, what do, what do I need to do? I need to prepare. God will ultimately provide. So what's on me? It's prepare. It's go if it's going somewhere or it's doing or it's living or it's working and i think in many ways that theme is present in our text god does the providing what's what do we do we we go live work we we act as god is the big actor in the story i want to just let you know that today, part of what I'm sharing, I'm indebted to a commentary I've got written on uh, the book of Judges from a guy named Dale Ralph Davis. You'll hear me mention the name Davis. So 
just want to be careful not, I didn't just take his words and put him here, but kind of some of the impetus behind where we're going comes from him. As he talks about this section today, as I like his wording, he says it's pictures of divine adequacy. Those are his words, pictures of divine adequacy. I'm looking at it as God's provisions and our title even from big toes to iron chariots. But these pictures of divine adequacy. So I've got some direction there from him. I'm going to have a few more pictures than he, even he, he had as we look through here. But the idea is in this book of Judges, how do we put together? I just read a lot of, I mean, we got, we got Axon, a donkey. We got a guy with big toes getting cut off. And they're going here and there and ites and these ites and, and these weird names and all this. St- how do we try to put it together? So that's kind of what we're going to try to do and attempt to do. Some of it here taken from him. And so here as we get into this text, uh, even though Joshua dies after the death of Joshua, the Lord continues to provide and give as his people go into the land. Uh, Davis calls it a historical crisis. The leader dies, and we see this in other, other places. God still provides for his people. And so we find Israel again after the death of Joshua. They're considering the promised land, that land to go into and the need to go up into the land to take possession of it. Some of you, if you've got a bulletin, you've got, we're back to some maps again. Yay. If you're into maps, there's another one. This is going to carry you through maybe a lot of the book of uh, Judges. It's got a lot of the, in white, the Judges, and you can see the different areas. They're not all centralized into one area, but that gives you an idea. And we're kind of today in the southern part of the map. If you can find the Dead Sea or the big bold words that say Philistia, uh, we're kind of in that, that particular area. You can look up the names, but that gives you an idea of where we're at in the land. As we looked at Joshua, they did go into the promised land. That land God had promised uh, to them. Even Abraham, I'll bring you back eventually to this land. And yet, not all the land is taken. Uh, Joshua 13 helps us make sense of this. This is what it says there. I'll just read a bit from it, and then we'll come back to Judges. But God had said to Joshua, He said, You're old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. So Israel had gone in, but there was still more land to possess. It says, This is the land that yet remains. All the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites, from the Shihor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron. I think you might find that on your map. It is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of the Avim. In the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Merah that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and so on and so forth. So even though there were great victories for all of Israel going in with Joshua all over the place, uh, southern, northern, all these conquests, some 31 kings. You remember reading about the 31 kings that were defeated? Still, all the land had not been taken over. Or it seems as if they maybe went into an area, but not inhabiting, you know, right at the same time. Not everybody just living there. Those displaced came back and they kind of had to re almost retake over a lot of it. 
Now, one note before we look here then at Judges regarding just where they were going into this land, the Canaanites. Alfred Edersheim talks about the Canaanites, and it's good for us to think on this land that Israel was taken, taking over, this land of the Canaanites. He says it's, it's difficult to resist the impression that Canaan, and I think in general terms, the area, Canaan, was not only the focus of ancient heathenism, that is pagan, anti-God, that's a new word, heathenism. It wasn't, was not only the focus of ancient heathenism in its worst abominations, but the center whence it spread. This, I mean, they're going into the center place of the spread of heathenism. He goes on to say, very much in the mythology and almost all the vileness of Greek and Roman heathenism is undoubtedly of Canaanitish origin. Then he goes on to say, Consider the significance of planting in its stead the kingdom of God with its untold missionary influences and its grand purpose to the world. So this was not, as we think of Canaanites and we think, oh, those are quite the name, parasites, all these Hittites, all these names to pronounce. This is not some local kind of insignificant any enemy. It's, it's just as if the gates of hell are standing before Israel as the people of Yahweh going into this land, a pagan land. And we're going to see that not all that land is taken and there are remnants left of heathenism that begin to work again in the people and the cycles and so forth. But that's the land they're going into. And so they inquire of the Lord, which is good, who's going to go first for us, A good place to start as we looked at last week. They're looking for God's guidance. And then the Lord speaks to them in verse 2 and gives the direction. Look at verse 2 of Judges. The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And again, I think this is probably the classic theme of Joshua as we looked at it, which is good. We just looked at it uh, two years ago, I guess it was. So we kind of have maybe a little bit of that in our mindset. Again, that idea of God says, go up, go do this, and I have already given to you. In fact, the phrase in the Hebrew, I have given the land, is in the, it's like it's in the past tense. It's already happened. I'm not wondering about it. It's yours. Go, right? It's, it's already done. I do this. I take the land. It's yours. Just go, go grab this land that I've given to you. And so take possession of what you've already been given. Which, if God has given it, then what is there to fear? Right? Maybe, maybe looking at the book, we can go, well, yeah, don't. Why should they fear? God's already given it to them. He's gone before his people. So, what is there to hold these people of God back from following through and obeying the Lord? And so here, Judah is to go first. And it's fitting for them to go first. Jacob blessed them. If you remember the blessing of of Jacob, when Jacob blessed the tribes of Israel, he said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Kind of kingly language. Nor the the ruler's staff from from, uh, between his feet. So Judah is the first among tribes, the kingly tribe, if you will. And he goes in to take possession. But verse 3, and this is where Davis kind of brings us out. Verse 3 says... He's not going alone. Look at verse 3. 
Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I'll go with you into your territory. And they had kind of the same. Simeon's territory was actually kind of within Judah's territory. So it made sense for the both of them to go in. But Davis, he says, he does not see these notes of unity. This would, Simeon, you guys, why don't you come with us? We'll go with you. He doesn't see these notes of unity as sentimental little ditties for our author, he says. He regards them as significant. So Davis is commenting on the author of Judges here. He regards these as significant. As Yahweh's people assist one another, they receive Yahweh's help. And he goes on to say, the Lord's people thrive on mutual assistance. God has given us one another as channels of His help and strength. In New Testament language, Paul calls that the body of Christ. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. There's companionship. Judah had Simeon. David had Jonathan. Paul had Barnabas. And how many times in Scripture do we see God's people uh, act alone with no companion? I think there's, there's some times of that. But there's a picture, I think, of companionship to walk the road together following Christ. And so what a privilege. As we gather here, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, in part of the mission of our church to build up one another. We're not, we're not going into a land as if you were going into our Christian life just all alone. We're gathered together to, go, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds and to encourage us, encourage one another. Well, so far, this is all a bit preliminary. Okay? It's, it's reminding us again, preliminary but important, God's going with Judah as they go up. And so then we get into just multiple little accounts. I'm counting seven. You might count and divide more. I'm counting seven of them. Kind of these, these little, Davis calls them vignettes. He's got three. I just expanded it to seven, you know, whatever. Make more. Um, but they're stories of Judah going into the land. So I'm going to trace them real brief, nothing long, hopefully, on, on any of these. I won't get into how they took the big toes off and all that sort of thing as much as kids as maybe you'd want that. We'll just kind of briefly touch in some of these areas and look at these vignettes, these snapshots of God's work here. And then try to, try to wrap them together in the end. What are all these little, what are they, what's the unit here? My encouragement would be as these come up is let it paint a picture for you of the God who provides. This picture of divine adequacy, of provision, that's what we're seeing as we read along, even though some of these things are harder to understand. So let's get a view of this. Uh, look at verse 4. Verse 4. So I'm gonna, I've got these seven. I'm going to kind of just title each of them. The, the first one is God gives victory and justice. That's verses 4 through uh, 7. Look at verse 4. I'll just read that one. Um, then Judah went up, and the Lord gave. Do you see that? Again, the repeat. Hey, go up, I have given. So, verse 4, Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. They defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. 
So Judah goes up, the Lord gives. God gives the victory. We're called to go. Go. But we see also in this account that God gives justice. And again, I won't read the entire account of this Adonai Bezek. Adonai, you're used to that word. You've probably heard it before. Lord. So this Lord of Bezek, maybe on your map it's around uh, Gezer there, G-E-Z-E-R. Maybe it's somewhere around there. Um, I'm not sure anybody knows for sure. But they end up catching this Lord, this leader, and cutting off his big toes and his thumbs. It's like his big hands. So thumbs are gone, which are important. Toes are gone. And Davis comments here, on this unique detail. He says, When Yahweh shows how adequate He is, He does so in fascinating detail. Who knew big toes are listed in the Word of God? And yet they are because there's details of God's work going on. Not just in broad strokes, but details. And so here, the Lord of Bezak, Adonai, comes in contact with the true Adonai, the Lord of glory and he acknowledges god has repaid me so this one that had taken 70 other kings toes and thumbs kind of gets what he had coming to him davis says israel's god acts in justice here justice will come to the oppressor and evil one in god's perfect timing and in timing it came right here on the lap of Adonai Bezek. Justice came. And sometimes we see that, maybe not. Sometimes there's videos you might watch of somebody uh, spinning out in a, in, a, in a like a super expensive sports car, kind of just flaunting what they have. Have you seen those videos? And then they tear off and run into a pole. And we all kind of go, ha <laughs> you know, they had it come, they got, you know, whatever, they were proud, whatever. It's kind of that idea. We, want to, we, we like to see justice taken out. I just want to ask us and bring it in for us for a moment. What, what do we deserve if God were to repay us for our wrongs? Maybe you haven't cut off any actual big toes, but Psalm 130 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, Adonai, who could stand? Who could stand before this Lord if, she, if He should mark our sins? And we too will either give an account and face the judgment of the Almighty God for all the wicked things we've done or be covered by that atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ who took upon Himself the judgment, the repayment we deserve. That's what Christ did on the cross. And so God gives victory, and He is just. He gives justice. Number two, God gives victory in the midst of giants. Verses 8-10. through 10. He gives victory in the midst of giants. This section, 8-10, through 10, describes further victories in the hill country, the Negev, the lowland. And it mentions these three uh, three guys here. Can you find it? Let's see. Eight. It's uh, verse. It's at the end. Verse ten. The last. And they defeated. Do you see that? Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai. Perhaps not household names for us. We're not like, oh, finally they got Shishai. 
But I think for the Israelites, they would have known them. Joshua 15 describes these three as descendants of Anak or Anak, which takes us back to Numbers 13 through 14. And the context there is Israel sending the spies into the promised land that first time, the time that didn't go well, that part of Numbers. They went in, they they bring the report back. They say, we're not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we are. And one reason was given was the Nephilim are there, the sons of Anak, A-N-A-K. Giants were in the land. Particularly even these three descending from Anak. And so we're going to come back to this in a bit. But again, we see there's victory. They defeated. The word defeated is there. So Judah defeats. God defeats. There's victory in the midst of giants. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Number three, God gives, provides, by preparing His people. So He gives justice. He gives victory in the midst of giants. He gives, gives by preparing His people. Verses 11 through 13, as we get into the story of Othniel and Aksa. Here we have what Davis sees as a story of romance. Othniel is willing to take an entire city. He calls it uh, Bookville. Kiriath Sefer. Sefer is kind of, I think, a, a way of, of, of records, accounts. Maybe it was the book city of the uh, Anakim, something like that. But he's willing to take the entire city for the sake of Caleb's daughter, Aksa. There's romance here, right, in, in the Scripture. But, but I also think, and would add, we see God giving by preparing someone to lead the people. The name of Othniel is not just here in Judges. It's going to show up again uh, in chapter 3. We're going to see Othniel again as the first judge of Israel. And so even back here, I wonder, could it be that this battle, this desire for Aksaw, Caleb's daughter, like, well, that's worth it. I'll go take a city for her if that is God's way of preparing Othniel to one day judge Israel, I think it could be. And we might ask, what's God doing now that we have no idea how He's going to use it in the future? I think you can all look back. You look back years before and go, oh, I see, that is how God used that and directed me, and now I'm where I am. And God does that and prepares us through what we might look at as good things, diplomas, degrees, whatever, good jobs, things that happen, and through suffering. And God moves in these ways according to His plan. So God gives by preparing His people. And there's something else here, the fourth one, that God gives living water in a dry land. As we move into verses 14 through 15, now we've got an account of Aksaw coming to Caleb asking for that that blessing. And we've already seen this. We went over it, Joshua 15, when we were there. She asks her new husband, hey, ask him for land. And then she rides the donkey, gets down, whatever that means. Maybe it means submission to, uh, to her dad. She gets down and she asks Caleb for a blessing. She asks for springs of water because they were given the Negev, the wilderness. Now, I have two thoughts here on this story, and I shared some in Sunday school, so two thoughts. One 
is, why is this here? What's going on with this account? What, what does it mean that Aksa got off the donkey and asked her dad, should we get off donkeys and ask? And what all the, Can we figure it out? I, I found, a, again, from Davis, uh, a great comfort from a commentator. A, fellow, a, a, a commentator who struggles to fully understand why this account is here. That's good to read. You're reading a book going, okay, hopefully this guy knows. And he goes, I, yeah, I don't really know either. But, but hear him out. Hear him out. We're not doubting God's word. Okay? He says, he says this, and hopefully it's helpful to you when you come across certain passages that maybe for the moment, for the time, you don't understand. He says, one cannot always answer this why. You know, what, why is this here? But one should keep asking it nevertheless. He goes on to say, we need to beware of deriving a useful application from a text merely to justify its existence as Scripture. Okay, so he's saying, if we don't quite understand a text, does that make it not Scripture? No, it's still God's Word. We just don't quite grasp what's going on. I got maybe an idea, but it's maybe. He says, I do not know ultimately why this apparently inconsequential episode was included in Scripture. And then he says this, perhaps we must ride Aksa's donkey to fully understand her request. There is a lot going on probably in the culture and in the day that maybe we just don't understand of what's going on. That doesn't make it not God's Word and we go, well, that probably shouldn't be in there. By no means. We just keep keep wrestling in it. Well, she's a donkey. Here's one wrestling thought that I kind of brought up when we were, when we were in Joshua 15. My attempt, trying to think through it, one is land is worth very little without a sustaining source of water. It's kind of basic information, right? But land does you guys that plant in it no good if you have no water. Especially the wilderness, the Negev, where they were given land, Aksa and her husband, Othniel. We think of that source of water. Jesus' words say this, John 7. He says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. We are not saved to simply exist in a dry land. But we have living water flowing through us by His Spirit. And as we live here in this land, maybe in a barren wilderness, if you will, we live here, we're saved, we're also sustained by God's living water in Christ through His Spirit. So God saves us, and we're not just saved to go, okay, I'm saved. I'm on a waiting mission for, to be with the Lord one day. However many years it's going to be, I'll just, I'll just wait. We're saved and sustained and moved, and God works in us by His grace through His Spirit. Land without water is a dry and unproductive land. We need the water. We need Christ in our land as it were. That's an attempt at that. But again, we can go back. Do we have to know why and everything? Perhaps not. Other than God works through romance and details and donkeys and questions to accomplish His purposes. 
All right, quickly, verse 16, kind of fast. Verse 16, you've got the Kenites. These are descendants of Moses' father-in-law, Midianites. Uh, Not exactly the lineage of Jacob and Israel. And yet, we've got the account here that God promised to do them good of old, stay with the Israelites, help them in the wilderness, you'll get a land, you know, we're going to come in. can't remember if, yeah, uh, I think they had promised them land if they would stay with them, that idea. However the case, they receive a settlement here. They went up with the people uh, from the city of Palms, that's Jericho, into the wilderness of Judah, and there they settled with the people. In other words, God gives to the nations in faithfulness. These were not necessarily Israel here, although they sojourned, it seemed like they sojourned with them. God gives even to nations. He's faithful to His Word. All that Word years ago spoken to them, believed by Moses, 40, 45, 50 years later, they're settling in the land. God's faithful to His Word, even to nations. All right, verses 17 then uh, through 19. Here you've got the defeat of Canaan at at some other places are listed here. Uh, Zephath, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gezer, Gezer. And verse 19 declares this. Look at verse 19. And the Lord was with Judah. Isn't that... God is working whether or not His name is listed in every sentence. We can look at this and say God is at work. But here, verse 19, and the Lord was with Judah taking possession of this place. So God, number six, God gives His his presence. God gives His presence. He was with Judah. But we've got this little note in verse 19. Let me read the whole part of verse 19. And the Lord was with Judah... And he took possession of the hill country, yea, but, there it is, he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. They took some possession, couldn't take it all. And these iron-clad chariots seemingly could not be driven out. And I have to wonder here, could they not? Did they not try to this objection, you know, that, well, they've got, they got chariots of iron. Here's what Joshua had said in chapter 17, verse 18 um, of Joshua. He said, For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariots of iron, and though they are strong. So God is with them, and yet we find there's some chariots, and I don't know what was behind not taking them, even though Joshua had encouraged them, take them. Though they look strong, take them. Your God is with you. But then look at look at sandwiched in here, look at verse 20 and 21. And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. Sheshai, remember? Uh, Alaman, Ptolemy, whatever. Those three guys. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Benjamin's kind of thrown in here, part of Judah, kind of part of that tribe going in. I think a lot of times you see just Judah, Benjamin's right alongside. So Judges 119, ironclad chariots couldn't 
take care of him is right up against who or where? Caleb. Right up against Caleb. Here's Caleb on the victory march and not that young of a guy at this time. I think Caleb sandwiched in here is a representative of having faith in the Lord in the midst of of the fear of the ironclad chariots or the people living in Jerusalem. Judah couldn't drive out the chariots. Benjamin couldn't drive out the Jebusites. But but guess who Caleb drove out? He drove out giants, three of them. Here again, these sons of Anak. In fact, years later, another descendant of Judah would fight what I believe to be a descendant of Anak. Maybe you've heard of David and Goliath. Men of faith of old who, who said, our God is with us. He's, we shouldn't fear. We have the Lord before us. I want to just touch then as we, that God gives faith here. I want to touch on a uh, little bit on this story as we go back to Numbers. So turn with me just as we kind of bring this to a close, try to put this together. Come back to Numbers 14. I've been mentioning it. Numbers 13 and 14, the spying of the land, the, the, the 12 go, the 10 bring back the bad report, but Caleb and Joshua are like, no, we should, we should, go, we should go do this. Head back to Numbers 14. In particular, I'm going to look through verses 6 through 10. So again, we're looking back in time here. We've gone back maybe, may, I don't know, 45, 50 years before where we're at in Judges. Again, those spies went in, came back, bad report. I want you to hear what Joshua and Caleb had to say to the people who thought they could not go in. They, they thought the Anakim, the Anak, the sons, they're, they're too strong amid all the other foes. Here's what it says in verse 6. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them. I've got an underline in my Bible. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And the response? Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. From big toes to chariots of iron, God will provide for His people. A picture of that adequacy even in Judges in these snippets of stories that we find here. And we who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, we have the same promises. Not to go and fight for a physical land, but all of what we need has been given by the Lord. 2 Peter 1.3 says this. You can write down the reference. 2 Peter 1.3 His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. He who has purchased us from the domain of darkness, He grants us His Spirit to sustain us. 
to behold the glory of the Lord while we wait in these bodies of flesh. You see that picture in Judges 1? I know there's a kind of a kaleidoscope, kind of there's all these things going on. Over and over again, though, they defeated, they won. And there's these chariots. They couldn't drive them out. But then there's Caleb, the man of faith, who drove out in his old age the giants. God provides. God's divinely adequate to meet the needs of His people as they go. Our task is to believe and go. Or go believing. Believe as you go. To go into the land God has placed you in. To go and make disciples. To go and live for the glory of God. To go and obey. For you have given what you need in knowing Jesus. So God provides in a multitude of ways we need to go. Let me pray for us. Father, again, we are so quick to forget all your ways that you have provided for us in the past, let alone all the ways that you promise in Scripture to be with us in Christ forever for the salvation we have, the Spirit you've indwelt us with. We thank you, Lord, for all of this, for your provision to us. Forgive us, Lord, when we forget and when we go forward and and we stress and we fret on our own not remembering that You are with us, our Emmanuel, our God with us. Father, You say in Your Word, if You should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with You there is forgiveness that You may be feared. Lord, may we wait for You and hope in You in whatever land situation we're in. Be their giants, if You will, in our life. Be their kings that seem to get away with cutting off toes and worse 70 of them Lord be their uh, trials chariots of iron that we see Lord may we go forward in the power and strength of our Lord look to you through each of these things Lord, just pray this Lord in your name Amen. you've been listening to Bethany Radio a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy Minnesota